Hello and welcome to Artaholics Anonymous, the podcast where we talk about art and get tipsy. Mm-hmm. I'm Maddie. And I'm Ella. And today we're drinking, um, what am I drinking? I'm drinking a weird concoction of, uh, well it's not that weird, but of uh, um, <laughs> lemonade, uh, vodka and a little bit of cranberry juice because I made it a bit too strong and so it tastes really bad. You just put the cranberry juice that we've had in our fridge for like half a year. <laughs> That might be why it's a bit spicy. <laughs> oh I'm drinking. I'm being really classy. I've got a white Russian. That's a cocktail for listeners who don't know. That's made of milk, vodka, and Kahlua, and it's amazing because it tastes like chocolate milk. Oh, I should have Dangerous. had one of those. Mm. Yeah. Now I'm regretting <laughs> pouring, I'll make you one. pouring half a pint of vodka in my glass. <laughs> I'll make you one for the next uh, segment. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Cool. So. Uh, what are we talking about today? So today we're talking about artist rivalries. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a few artists who uh, either frenemies or enemies, and um, uh, for for one reason or another, and uh, yeah, for... kind of the way it affected their art as well, the way that they're um, they kind of spurred each other on, or they kind of made you know hate art about each other. Yeah, or, whatever. or destroyed each other's art. Yeah, um, all exciting stuff. Very, very exciting tea. <laughs> very messy, yeah. Messy, messy gossip. Yeah. Um, that we can. Uh... So we'll be delving into the thick of all of these uh, dramas. So. Mm-hmm. Hope Juic- you enjoy. Juicy drama. Okay, so our first juicy drama is an intense rivalry between um, artists Jackson Pollock and Willem de Kooning. You know about Jackson Pollock, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Jackson Pollock. So However, De Kooning, zip. Do you not know of I've never heard of him. Well, Jackson Pollock's a, the guy who does the, like, splatty, drippy... Yep, yep, yep. yep. Big, big splatter paintings. Yeah. Everybody knows cool. him. Pretty fun. De Kooning kind of does um, I don't know, it's a range of, of things. Kind of lazy in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, um. Only because he, he gets other people to do his work for him, doesn't he? I don't know. Possibly. Okay. I think a lot of artists do. Yeah, true. But um, yeah, de Kooning's work is just more figurative, like less abstract than, than uh, Pollock, but it has like, he'll do like images of, of a female form, but in an abstracty way. Uh, okay, 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 cool. Um, is that like his main thing then? Or? Yeah, he's most famous for the female form ones. They're called like Woman One, Woman Two. Mm, imaginative names. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't mind. I like de Kooning slightly better than Pollock's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah personally, probably. that's just me. I'd probably side with you on that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they are, have been accused of being a little bit like misogynistic. Feminist readings have looked at them and been like, yeah, these women are made to look monstrous. Oh. In a kind of gross way. You know what I mean? Oh, that's disappointing. But that's um, subjective. Mm. Anyway, so they had a rivalry that started from um, the place where many rivalries start, Jealousy. Uh, de Kooning oh, moved to the US from Rotterdam. Uh, he was a stowaway on a ship mm. um, and came to become an artist. Damn, that's and, an interesting story. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, he basically admired Pollock a lot for his, not just the art itself, which he also loved, obviously, but um, for his kind of reputation in the art world that, mm. that he had Mm-mm-mm. of being kind of, well, de Kooning called him uh, the painting cowboy. Which I love. <laughs> the painting cowboy. It's just a lot. Like, he had this kind of uh, badass, yeah. very uh, 
macho vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah, very famous for that sort of thing and being like a, a, a lone sort of cowboy. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, he was a womanizer. He was a hard drinker. Mm. He was like always seen with like a cigarette in his lips. Like <laughs> just had a cool image. Um, yeah, Clint Eastwood vibes. Anyway, so um, yeah, so de Kooning really admired him. Um, and that started off this rivalry between them. And each of them, they, you have to picture it like a boxing match. You know, okay. in a boxing match, you have the two boxers, obviously, and then you have, like, the, like, coach, I guess, who, like, is standing over their shoulder giving right. them pep talk. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. Ring. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this, you picture it. You have um, Pollock on one side, De Kooning on the other side, mm-hmm. and then... Or corner, uh, as you were. Corner, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And in this case, the coaches were um, rival art critics who were mm. quite famous at this time. They were famous in creating the vibe that we now have around abstract expressionism. Yeah, so um, de Kooning's, um, de Kooning's a famous critic um, coach, as mm. it were, Mm-mm. is uh, Howard Rosenberg. Okay. Who, uh, he basically um, championed the idea of action paintings, which is... I've got a quote here, where artists are heroic existentialists wrestling with self-expression. So it's very deep, it's very, like, emotional, and it was all about how abstract expressionism is, like, super, like, linked to art history and literature and all sorts of other stuff, and Mm. also the soul. And it's pretty deep, basically. It tells a story. Yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah, I quite like it like that. And uh, Howard Rosenberg basically thought Kooning really embodied this. Mm. Um, so he would look at de Kooning's abstract paintings and be like, I can see a story in there, in all of these, like, random splatters of paint. Mm-hmm. So that's one side. And also, he loved um, de Kooning because de Kooning stuck with uh, figurative art, so he continued drawing, like, um, like women's figures long after everyone else in the abstract expressionist movement had moved uh, on to just pure abstract. Uh, and uh, so uh, what about Pollock then? So on the other side of the ring, we have Pollock and over his shoulder, we have um, the critic Clement Greenberg. Yes. We had to read one of his works back in first year, right? Good old Do you remember? Greenberg, vaguely and vaguely. I don't think remember. I read it. <laughs> it, it. I probably read it. It rings a bell. Yeah, I think I read it like five minutes before the seminar started. But anyway, um... <laughs> Greenberg's thing was that he was totally against finding any type of emotion or narrative within a painting. He thought it painting should not be impacted by external influences. So it's, a painting should be just about the action of painting and the materials of painting. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was all about like flatness, uh, colours, shapes, quality of line. Right. So like the very opposite um, version of like looking at yeah. abstract painting. So, yeah, so to understand the de Kooning versus Pollock rivalry, you've got to understand the um, uh, Rosenberg versus Greenberg rivalry. Mm. So, like, uh, those two critics, they basically burned each other in two different essays, like two different burn books they both had. (laughs) Burn books. (laughs) So Greenberg burned Rosenberg in an essay called How Writing Earns Its Bad Name. (laughs) (laughs) Art writing, sorry. How Art Writing Earns Its Bad Name. And he basically says... um, yeah, Rosenberg is basically trying to find stories in abstract art when there is no story there. Oh, Shay. He basically did the thing that my dad does whenever he goes to like art galleries and is like, I could do that. 
<laughs> my five-year-old could do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then Rosenberg burns Greenberg in an essay called Action Painting, A Decade of Distortion, where he basically, among other things, accuses Greenberg of um, selling out a little bit and being uh, motivated by money. Ooh. So pretty savage, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty savage. Okay. I mean, and I don't know a lot about Greenberg, but I imagine that's not incorrect. Yeah. So these two, um, these two artists had a rivalry where um, de Kooning Singh is like emotions and um, digging deep into the history of art and his own childhood and stuff to pour his emotions into his canvases. Where um, I mean, I think Pollock does that as well, personally, but mm. he was more like, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to splat some paint on a canvas <laughs> and earn some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you can picture this boxing match going on, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Clement Greenberg is whispering into Pollock's ear. He's going, think of shapes, think of colours. Don't listen to anyone else. <laughs> think of shapes. Rosenberg is whispering into de Kooning's ear. He's going like, think about your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that. They've got their, their sponsors. Yeah. Okay. Um, thing is, their um, rivalry was based on more than just art. Mm. It was kind of made slightly more messy by relationships. Oh, basically, personal life. Personal life, disgusting. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, both of the artists had wives and partners who were really famous artists in their own right. So I think Pollock was married to Lee Krasner. Yes. Who's an artist and an art critic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, familiar with Lee Krasner. Yeah. And um, de Kooning was married to Elaine de Kooning, who is also an artist. And and lots of feminist uh, critics since then have written about how their wives um, kind of gave these artists their ideas, really supported them, and how these uh, famous artists, male artists, wouldn't have reached the heights that they did without the support of their wives. Mm -hmm. And also how they uh, held their wives back. (laughs) Oh yeah, probably... Bloody man. Um, yeah, and uh, it's like that, that reminds me of the saying, like, behind every great man is a great woman, or yes, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Lee Krasner was enamoured with de Kooning before she married Pollock, which probably oh. put a slight um, awkward tension oh. to any of their meetings. Yeah, that's a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, um, I don't know if you know, but Pollock died in a car crash. I didn't know that. Yeah, he died in a car crash. Well, he was um, he suffered with alcoholism his whole life. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. I um, didn't know that. And he was in a car with two other two women, and one of the women died in the car crash, and the other woman um, survived. And the girl in the car who survived was called Ruth Clickman, mm. and she was basically the girl that uh, Pollock was dating at the time. Uh, Pollock's wife, uh, Lee Crescent, had moved away to get some well-needed rest, I imagine, from him. Oh. Um, and essentially, after Pollock died, de Kooning kind of swooped in and married or started going out with Ruth Clickman. Right. Which a lot of the the, the, the like artistic circle frowned upon because you're like way too soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Kooning, uh, de Kooning moved into the house right next to the cemetery where Pollock was buried, which I find quite creepy. Yeah, that's a bit too much. Yeah, I feel like this um, rivalry became a bit of an obsession. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, so there was that kind of 
personal drama going on at the same time. Mm. So that car crash was in uh, 1956. Um, mm. Damn, he, dated, he, he died aged 44. Yeah, it's quite um, a tragic story. But then, I mean, not that this doesn't excuse him dying, um, but like, <laughs> it was his fault. <laughs> I don't know, that, that's really bad to say, but like, it, he probably was drinking... Yeah, it was. I yeah, mean, it, was not probably. Driving. He was drink driving, and yeah. uh, and uh, and he was a tit last. I think a lot of the abstract specialist artists at this time had this kind of celebrity vibe going on, mm. which led them to this kind of really crazy rock star lifestyle yeah. that he really had. Definitely with Pollock, at least, and yeah. also you know all of the cheating on his wife and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So lots of um, I don't even whether you remember from our initial lectures mm. at, in first year when we talked about Pollock, mm. but um, lots of critics since have used very weird gendered language to describe his his uh, work. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm going to apologise to viewers in advance for this, but I have to just read you this quote, listeners. <laughs> listeners, <laughs> podcast, of, of course. <laughs> This critic, William Fever, from English Art Critic in 1979, he says, Pollock was casting paint like seed onto the canvas spread at his feet. This was no sissy. It was, demonstrably, the real thing. Painting composed of manly, ejaculatory splat. Yes. The, the memories just shot back into my brain um, <laughs> when I first heard that quote and um, the words seed and uh, ejaculatory um, embedded themselves. It's so gross. In, into, into my memory. Um, <laughs> and it's so gendered. It's like... <laughs> I, well, I mean... Like, this, this it, is a man. It makes sense because, like, Pollock was very much like that. Like, if, if anybody's going to ejaculate all over a canvas, it's him. Um, <laughs> literally I mean um, yeah probably at some point um, well you might have um, but at least metaphorically then like okay is the critic wrong no I mean uh, no, it's not wrong like, but he didn't have to say it like that yeah true he didn't have to say it like that but um, but I have to say I do I do, I do agree in, in, a, in a critical way like I would say like stop stop spreading your man <laughs> gender <laughs> Your like, man gender. I don't know, man. Agenda. I don't mean that in like a in. in I, I don't mean that in a in a way that sounds sexual, but it came off like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. But that, yeah, there you go. Now, now everything I say is gonna sound dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I. I. I agree. Um. But yeah, that's a very interesting. That's all uh, opinion of Pollock's work. So their rivalry was quite like, mm, I think of all the rivals we took, we're going to talk the about most, in this podcast, it was the most like the, bitter. The most bitter, the most brutal for sure. It and I think it's like the it. most like psychological as well, mm. especially since Cooning like moved into near his grave and stuff. It's I feel like they really kind of definitely latched onto each other a little bit. Too far, like the the messy dating and the moving next to his grave and that's like very much like a bit too far bit bit scary yeah but it's all very hollywood as well like these mm. people were like hanging out with like um andy warhol all these mo- models and 
like mm. they're in that kind of circle where this kind of thing like all these dramas was like run of the mill yeah yeah it is very hollywood um it's exactly sort of it's in, in yeah. a way it's sort of what you'd expect and i feel like that kind of reputation that they all kind of created for themselves especially pollock mm. kind of added to the was as much part of their like genius or in air quotes genius mm. um as the art itself Mm. Like I don't. Do you think that Pollock would be as famous as he is if we didn't have all of this kind of juicy gossip backstory for him? Honestly, probably not. Well, in a way, maybe, but definitely not with the same sort of infamy that that yeah. he has. And I feel like critics like William Fever and that gross quote have kind of added to that. Definitely, yeah, definitely. They've added to but, this like kind of like cult personality around him. Mm-mm. The cult personality, the the readings of the work, and then also the lifestyle that these artists had definitely uh, contributes like a, a lot to the, the fa- their fame and that image that they have um so it's definitely like an important way of like obviously it's contacts like an important way of uh, l- looking at their work now yeah I, I think it's quite interesting yeah it was funny i didn't know decoding at all before i started researching this um this rivalry yeah no me neither because he obviously didn't have that same level of like uh, celebrity and machismo that Bullock uh, mm. had, but I for ages thought I got confused between uh, Willem de Kooning and I think it's Jeff Koons who does those really gross, like giant sculptures, like balloon animals. What I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Oh, they're horrible. They're so soulless, and they're like the most. I think it's like the most expensive art Sculpt- on the market at the moment. Sculptures of balloon animals. It's, it's Jeff Koons, I think. <laughs> Okay. And he's like, he's just basically a businessman who makes these gross sculptures and sells them for millions. He's basically oh. cornered this art market for disgusting, soulless art. Oh, that's so strange. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, if you if you like Jeff Koons, but... <laughs> <laughs> just proper roasting him right now. I like... dislike him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so our second rivalry is between Manet and Degas. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, basically, um, Manet and Degas are both um, Impressionist painters. Okay. Um, and Manet was born in 1832, and Degas was born in 1834. So they were born around the same time. They were both from privileged backgrounds <laughs> bourgeois you may say <laughs> um, and uh, both became painters after disappointing their families by not following their expected career paths oh my god too real <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and and basically the rivalry started because um, uh, um, Manny's career started as like stronger and he was able to paint quickly and his works were well received um whereas um whereas Degas painted slower and um struggled to get the critical acceptance that Manet had um so yeah that's sort of where it started because um I guess Degas was sort of jealous of of Manet's success yeah of, of, of his success uh-huh. however then um Manu became um more experimental um okay. and uh later on um as he started to change like 
you know, technique and colour, but then also because of his um, morally questionable subject matter. Oh, yeah. Um, such <laughs> as... the juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, such as in the um, lunch... <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, listen to you pronounce this. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's the luncheon on the grass, or uh, le déjeuner sur l'herbe. Le, I don't know. Le I did French for about six years and I still don't know how to pronounce le, this. Le déjeuner sur l'herbe. That's, that's for context, for. listeners, we did practice this for quite a while before we started the podcast and we still don't know how it's really pronounced. I, I apologise to the French. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did not do H's aren't a thing in French, right? No, you, yeah. You it's, it is. It merge all the letters together. Um... That's that's my attempt. It means um, luncheon on the grass. Yeah, luncheon on the grass. So the reason why this was sort of controver- a controversial painting is because um, it features um, basically two women and two men like having a picnic, which you think, what's wrong with that? Um, but <laughs> but the, the men are clothed um, and uh, there's one woman is sort of in her underwear um, in the stream, and the other one's just totally naked, just sat sat on the picnic blanket. And she's really kind of gazing into the camera. It's a very like it's actually, breaking yeah. the fourth wall. It's moment. very, it's very much like provocative. It's like, yeah, I'm here and I'm naked, and what about it? Um, uh-huh, cool. And it's sort of, I think it was sort of more controversial because it was because the men are clothed and because it's like it was framed. It's framed in that way. It's less of like a, a nude a, a nude painting. And more of like a realistic picnic, and that these women were getting naked and yeah. in in places or in situations that they shouldn't have been. Yeah, so it's not a nude; she's just naked. Like yeah, because yeah. a nude painting is more like it's just like it's about the female form, and it's really like formalist, Mm-mm-mm-mm. and the the context is kind of like not important. Whereas this, the context is so important. Yeah, yeah. So um, it says on this website, which is called Connect With Art, um, that uh, that his uh, reputation evolved from being publicly lauded to publicly mocked. Um, and around the same time, his friendship with Degas began to increase in importance. So they're actually sort of like friends and rivals. So they kind um, of bonded by not being accepted by the main art establishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, okay. um, and so they both sort of turned to and because of like um Manet's sort of more um controversial let's say or like you know just like ooh <laughs> naked women um, <laughs> um paintings yeah. um like that a lot of them weren't accepted into the mm, um, into the academy yeah 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 and didn't that painting start its own led him to start his own separate sort of Yes. Exhibition. Yeah. So because because that painting wasn't accepted into the oh it was rejected from the salon the Paris salon exhibition um, in 1863 um, they created um, or like uh, they they he he decided to instead um, exhibit it at the salon of the rejected so it became a sort of thing with um, impressionist artists to they created the Salon of the Rejected, so anything that was rejected from the Paris Salon for being too controversial or like too out there or too new um, was was put 
you know, was ex, ex, exhibited in the Salon of the Rejected. So that means this, this painting's, like, really important for the way that the rest of history of art goes, because... Yeah, yeah, I would say so. It's sort of... It, move, it like, moves away from all the strict rules mm. of, like, it does academia. All, yeah, and it sort of, yeah, it sort of breaks down those sort of um, hierarchical ideas, I would say, yeah. in a way. Or, like, the the movement as a whole, like, it wasn't just this painting and, and it wasn't just Manet. Um... Uh, but but yeah, they um, it was actually the the salon of the rejected was actually initiated by um, Napoleon the Third, oh. Emperor Napoleon the Third, as a solution to a problematic situation, um, which came about as the selection committee of the salon that year rejected so many paintings. It rejected um, two thousand seven hundred eighty three paintings. So because they rejected so many paintings, they were like they've got to be. <laughs> Um, but also, it, yeah, it did a sort of create a whole new sort of area for exhibiting paintings, and it accepted more paintings that were, yeah, different um, okay. than than what was accepted before. Which, okay. yeah, which is nice. Um, so they had very different techniques, Mani and Degas, um, and uh, so Degas the ballerina guy, right? Yes, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, Degas the ballerina guy, mm-hmm. um, but. Basically, what happened at one point is that um, uh, Degas painted a double portrait of Manet and his wife Suzanne in 1868. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Manet reputedly fathered an illegit- illegitimate son with Suzanne before um, ultimately marrying her years later. Okay. And basically, Manet was a known womanizer, mm-hmm. which perhaps explains some of the more some of the drama, <laughs> some, well, <laughs> some of the drama, and why he had naked women. In his oh yeah, true. <laughs> um, um, and they were also both um, infatuated with um, one woman called uh, Bertha Morisot. Um, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, however, even though Degas was single, he could not woo her. No. And Manny was in a relationship, but he succeeded to okay, woo her. So, so Manny's like, you know, the sexy ladies' man. Yeah. And Degas is desperate. Yeah. I'm assuming he was mm, kind of ugly, maybe. <laughs> Bit of an he, he's at least he's not he's not a charmer. Uh, he's, he's, he's not successful in love. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is that this woman who they were both uh, infatuated with, Bertha um, Morissette. Yeah, um, she Bertha went on to marry Manet's brother. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it says on this website as a sort of unsatisfactory consolation prize. Ouch! So, Ouch! I, I, oh, it's like oh, I've sort of like fallen in love with or like I've sort of like charmed by this handsome guy but like he's in a relationship what can I do I guess I'll settle for his brother (laughs) I mean I feel for his brother slightly but (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know I don't know much about his brother but uh do you think think all that time that Bertha Morissette was living with Manet's brother was she getting it from Manet oh like was she getting kind of best of both worlds as it were um, I would, I, I would say probably not, but you never know. Mm. Um, obviously, I, I, in in my research, I haven't seen any of that. Yeah, um, it's hard to but, tell. But uh, you you never know with things like this, and 
men cheated on their wives a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't so, know. I don't know if he would have done that. So Mane was like married to Suzanne still. Yeah. yeah. So so Mane is married to Suzanne, and basically they they fell out because of this painting. Um, they they fell out after Mane had a violent reaction to Degas finished portrait of the couple of uh, Mane and his wife. Um, Mane slashed the canvas where his wife oh, Suzanne's God. face was painted. Um, dramatic. And the piece remains on display today, but with the section of her face cut away. So the painting's like sort of three quarters of the painting, and then you've got like the section which was like slash straight down yeah we got it in front of us and it, there's a literally a blank square covering half of her face where i guess it was slashed yeah, yeah, yeah so i'm pretty sure that's just like the back and then the other half of the painting is i guess Manet himself kind of lounging mm-hmm. on a sofa staring straight into the i don't know not the camera but you know the no, he, you can't really tell where he's looking to be honest he, he's got tiny eyes <laughs> But yeah, like, and then and then in front of him is sort of his wife. She looks like she's sitting down yeah, somewhere. But, but yeah, her, her face is being cut off. So I don't know why he was offended yeah, by it. It doesn't look... It's not a very flattering portrait of a couple. It's like, I don't look at that and think that's a happy marriage. Mm. We, 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 we never know for sure, like, what Mane found so offensive. But maybe Degas, like, painted his wife wrong or... Or like ugly or something. I reckon it's because he wanted to keep up this reputation of being in a happy marriage, but he's painted it in such a disconnected way. Like she's got his back to him. He yeah, looks yeah. like he's thinking about all his other mistresses right now. Like, well, yeah, you know, maybe you never know. He was a uh, he was a bit of a womanizer. I think Degas just really captured like marital tension. <laughs> Yeah, what's 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 really interesting um, about this though is because they sort of had a bit of a fallout over the ruination of this painting and um, whatever he didn't, whatever Manet didn't like about Degas' painting of him and his wife and uh, and over the slashing because that's quite extreme to to colour yeah. part somebody's painting. I don't know why, but uh, clearly did it for some reason. Surprisingly, um, it didn't end their friendship. Um, they. They remained friends um, after this, um, which is which is quite strange to be honest. So okay. they sort of had a rivalry, but simultaneously were friends. So f- I would say frenemies is probably quite a good frenemies. Okay, description for them. Right. Um, yeah, but uh, what's uh, um, what's interesting is that um, Manet had none of Degas' works in his private collection after his death. But Degas had acquired eight paintings, 14 drawings, and over 60 prints of, um, of Manet's work. So it sounds like a bit of a, like a fanboy type. Thing. I don't know about fanboy, but like perhaps there, there was definitely some bitterness there. Mm-hmm. Um, Manet definitely had, like, even though they remained friends, Manet seemed to have like definitely... Um, had something against Degas after that painting. Yeah. Um, I mean, their painting styles are quite um, similar, no? Mm, mm, mm. Well, well, uh, I I would say that they're quite different. Um, so I feel like this rivalry is more based I mean, they on were a clash of personality rather than like a, they were both, an artistic difference. Yeah, they were both kind of um, impressionist, though, I think... Um, I think that uh, Manny didn't like to like 
describe himself as one. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, what's what's uh, what's another interesting thing is that um, a Degar is actually quite problematic. Oh, why am I not surprised? <laughs> um, I mean, so many so many artists are. What can you do? Um, but uh, whilst whilst researching this rivalry, I I found some. Uh, some interesting things about Degar. Um, out. <laughs> I'm nervous, um, And this, this, one, this one quote um, from uh, Vincent van Gogh himself, oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which he wrote to his friend Emile Bernard in 1888, so it's probably a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the quote is, why do you say that Degar can't get hard? <laughs> Degas lives like a little law clerk and doesn't like women, knowing that if he liked them and fucked them often, he would off- he would b- become deranged and inept at painting. Um, oh so God. the language is 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 quite um, brutal. Intense. It's quite intense. It's quite 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 uh, quite strong. Strong language. So yeah. Degas. So Van Gogh thinks Degas feels that if if he um, if he fucked a lot of women it would impact his painting negatively. Like. Yeah, yeah. So essentially the story behind this is that um, Degas is actually a big misogynist. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. uh, he, he, um, he was a, cel- a celibate misogynist. Um, he's an incel. Yes, he's an incel. Oh my God. <laughs> he would have done bits on Reddit. <laughs> he, he quite literally is an incel. Yeah. He's, uh, he's definitely, if he was alive today, he'd be on the internet going, uh, 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 women, women suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they won't sleep with me. I, uh, I, I, I'm celibate by own choice. <laughs> I hate women. Um, no one understands me. It's, it's a shame, really, because like finding this out really sort of r- ruined him for me. Yeah, because you quite like Degas before, like his paintings. Well, yeah, like to be honest, I don't have any particular attachment to most like artists themselves. Yeah, like, I think it's, in terms of personality, because like more, obviously it's safer to not attach yourself yeah. to the artist. And themselves. you know that like they're you don't know especially when you don't know anything about them personally, and and you know that they're probably not going to be great because especially older male artists. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, I liked his paintings um, uh, because they're, they're pretty. And yeah. then finding out the story behind them ruins them. I'm so sorry, <laughs> No, it happens so frequently. I'm used to it now. Like, that's the one, one key thing about studying art history is that the more, the more you learn about more of these artists, the more and more you're disappointed. They're, they're all so terrible. <laughs> my friends are making jokes that every time I go around galleries with them, I kind of ruin everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> telling them nasty stuff about um, about artists. Yeah, it's like I'd rather not know, really. <laughs> they're going to start going without me soon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining the experience. It's like, oh, yes, I want to go to a gallery and, and, and be all, like, the main character and be aesthetic and um, yeah. look at paintings. <laughs> and it's like, oh, did you know this artist did some horrible things? Like, well, he's a pedo, he beat his wife. Oh, yeah. He cheated, he's yeah. just an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so slightly less surprising there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of terrible. Um, Degas uh, saw women as human animals. Um oh, females of the species so he was like really Disgusting. horrible 
about stuff like that. Um, uh, this I hate when men call women females. Oh really, yeah, like, sets my teeth on edge. Yeah, it is. It is pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the author Camille Lawrence in Little Dancer, aged fourteen, which is uh, a book about um, the one of uh, Degas' dancer subjects. Um, she mentions that uh, Degas' misogyny um, is can be traced like back to his youth. Um, when he is thought to have contracted a uh, venereal disease from a brothel. Okay. So this seemed to sort of um, uh, be the origin, originality, original... The origin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the alcohol is definitely... No, that spicy vodka is kicking in. <laughs> the, the alcohol is messing with my brain function, so... I, I, yeah, we should have oh made dear. this podcast like fucking like smoothie anonymous or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, God, does not help the, the, the pronunciation or or my brain. <laughs> so, sorry, listeners. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the origin, yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, the origin of his sort of hate for women. Okay. Um, and it sort of continues to his subjects which is a real shame like he has his real he had a real disdain for women um including like the little girls that he um made like pose for hours and hours um to to like a painful um extent um for his paintings um and also like actually like hated them he called the girls like rats um uh, or and little rats and like it's 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 honestly like there's it's really such horrible shame. because you look at the painting and you think it's painted in like admiration or yes at least. yes or like yeah like admiration or or like in an artistic way because yeah. like dance is like very artistic and like beautiful yeah because um, you think it's all about like movement and color and stuff yes but that's exactly what you'd think it was about if he's, if he's just there hating on everyone but instead it's like yeah it's it. like pure hate for these like poor 13 year old girls <laughs> it's oh. such a shame oh, um, no. uh but yeah it's like it's definitely interesting what um what van gogh said about 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 him. I like to think of Van Gogh as just being really into all of the drama. <laughs> like I don't know how he knew. I guess I guess it does he would seem have like told he him about what... it. But I thought I always think of him as kind of like a hermit, kind of yeah, um, away yeah. in fucking France or wherever he was. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't think of him as in with the crowd. But obviously, he knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I feel like, like to think of him as like a messy bitch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the artists. Like I guess sort of knew each other in one way or another, so it is definitely interesting. Like I'd like to see more of their letters to each other. I think it'd be interesting. I'd like to see a lot more of their letters to each other and see what like the gossip was. But yeah, that's definitely mm-hmm. shade towards towards Dagon. He deserves it. The fact that he can't get it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I quite like that. Um, Van Gogh is basically saying that um, Dagon doesn't like women. Like what an, what a dick. Uh, <laughs> he can't get it up because of this like yeah um so so that's what i've learned about about degar um him him being problematic and then also money and degar's rivalry interesting so yeah 
So that's the end of part one of our incredible saga titled Art's Greatest Rivalries. <laughs> <laughs> um, make sure that you tune in for our second part where you can learn about two more great rivalries <laughs> um, in art history. Um, so yeah, enjoy.